Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Alex Hausend, and I'll be your host. And today I am just joined by my co-host, Eric Ostrich. Hey, Eric. Hello. This season's theme is the impact of Elixir. And today we're joined by a special guest, Florian Kraft. Florian, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello from Berlin. Hello, hello. Now, would you do myself and everybody else the favor of correctly pronouncing your name? Sure, like it's Florian Kraft, if you want to be super correct about the pronunciation in German. Florian or Florian in French is also perfectly fine. Is there a nickname for Florian? There is. It's either Flori, which is like the most commonly used one, so just omitting the A-N at the end, or it's uh, Flo. 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 And I think most people in the English like language space would say flow, like a, a flow of something. Like the progressive insurance commercial lady, but that probably... Yeah, or yeah. this weird like added type system on top of JavaScript by <laughs> Facebook, I think, right? Oh, there it is already. Everybody's homework is to send in an audio recording of them pronouncing your name. I think that would be pretty excellent. Florian. I would love that. I would make myself like a sound collage and a soundboard at work. So every time somebody comes in and can't pronounce my name, I would just like play a random clip and tell them that that is the clip. That is how you pronounce it canonically. <laughs> and everybody would just learn it differently. I would could just keep doing it forever and it would just be amazing. Set it to your voicemail message. Hi, everybody. This is Florian Craft. You have reached Florian. <laughs> okay. That yeah, yeah, can work. It can work. Although I do believe we're all... Like, we're probably like the last generation that knows how to telephone some person. So I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get called ever. Yeah, you might be right. When I call my youngest brother, he's definitely like, what? Did somebody die? Is everything okay? <laughs> I didn't know this device had a telephoning function. <laughs> yeah, that. That exactly. Thank you for joining us from Berlin, by the way. It is, what, you're six hours ahead of us? Seven hours ahead of us? Depending on where you are, actually, which I like, I don't know where you are in the US, but it's 10 in the evening. Okay, it's 10 in the evening. Well, yeah, thank you for joining us because I would probably be in bed right now. So thank you for joining us. No problem. Pleasure. I want to like get right into it. Now that we haven't had a like a rant on name pronunciations. How did you find yourself to be a software engineer? This is a hard question. So when do you decide that you are something right? I mean, for me, it started when I was 11 and my father bought me a telescope and the telescope was broken. I'm not even kidding. That's the real story. I'm just like trying to like put on my dreamy voice. So the telescope was broken. It was like uh, Christmas. And then my father was pretty aggravated about that and just like took the thing, brought it back to the store and came back with a computer of all things. And that's how it started. I wonder what would have happened if the telescope had worked. Wow. What a beautiful story. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? I think it was a lot more pragmatic and a lot more German. It was just like, oh, we need a computer, but tell the boy that this for his broken telescope or something. Anyway, 11 years old, first computer. And I, like, normally you would, like, probably hear a prodigy story at this point. Like, you know, I started immediately, like, grokking all the things. I didn't. I used the thing to, like, play computer games mostly. And in general, I didn't know what was going on. We were also one of these families that were too amazed by what was going on in that box. You probably remember like Windows Defrag. That was entertainment for the whole family for many, many an evening. So, Oh my goodness. That actually, I don't know how it came up in a SmartLogic meeting recently, but we asked if some people had ever seen that and they were like, mm -mm. 
Now I feel really old, by the way. There's a JavaScript, or there's a page that pretends to be a defragger, and it makes a like noises and everything. It's incredible. I'll have to find it again. <laughs> I mean, in the end, what happened was that in school, we had a lot of like uh, computer science, like introductions uh, and such. And in the end, I remember doing like my, like some HTML and I think like GeoCities page in the early 90s. So really bad. And at some point, my father decided that we needed internet, which was ridiculously expensive at the time so and i was like first touches and then from there i just kept going like i I remember doing or like reading up in english which i wasn't good at at the time about like apache server side includes like shtml all that kind of stuff and i ended up making a homepage for like our school actually i forget how i ended up doing that and it was pretty good and then in grade 12 which is like the last grade in german high school we actually partook in an American competition, which some of you might know, which is like the Technology Student Association. I'm not sure if it's still around. It's like we have similar competitions for students uh, here in Germany, but we partook as a German team in an American competition. It was a little bit odd, but worked at the time. And I did all of the, I always partook in the competitions around like web design, which was called Cyberspace Pursuit. Oh God, I said the word cyber on an official podcast. My God, we won that in some year. It was crazy. It was always a good experience. I got to visit all the, like some bigger American cities. So it's when I first went to Denver, visited Chicago, visited Charlotte. It was great. It was just a great old time. And yeah, after school, I just studied computer science and kept on coding. So, and at some point. What a neat story. It's almost like I like prepared a little bit, right? And I totally didn't. What, what the listeners can't see is that you're just, you're reading from cue cards behind your computer. Is that right? No, there's a person standing to the right here, handing me like <laughs> the clues, like giving me the talking <laughs> points. Thank you, by the way. You, yeah, you can. <laughs> no, like, you're not needed. No, bring in the next Thank one. you for your service. Exactly. So that's delightful. That's so cool that you made your school's webpage. That's great. Yeah, I think it's what we did in the late 90s. That's fair. I think it's what we all just did. It's actually like, I have to put a disclaimer here. Like I did study computer science, but I never finished. I actually had a little bit of a crisis in between and just decided that math isn't my thing, which to this day is still kind of like, it's not really my thing always. I find it fascinating, but I'm not smart enough to actually get into it. And I actually started studying film and animation and I actually hold a degree in film and animation. And then after that was completed, I decided that Okay, you've been coding the whole time anyway, so make a job out of it. And this is probably the point, like somewhere in 2010, where I decided that, okay, you're probably a software developer. You're not a 3D animation artist. You're not a mathematician. You're not a computer scientist. You're just exactly that. You're a software developer and you like it. Fascinating. Did you ever want to, like, I don't know, work for Pixar? Because I feel like that's the top dream right? Oh, I would have loved that, but I can't draw. So, and I don't have like, people always say at this point, like, oh yeah, I don't have the talent, but the truth of the matter usually is that it's never about talent. It's about the effort you put into something. And this is like the subliminal message here. Like if you want to become good at something, put the effort into it and don't hide yourself behind the, oh, I don't have talent thing. I did that way too much with all the film stuff. I still enjoy it. I like all the Pixar movies. I like 3D animation in general. I'm still like taken away by how this works whenever I see some cool animation or some cool special effects in movies. But the reality of it is that there's not a lot of money in it. 
like turned out to be a little bit profane a reason for me. But after my studies were finished, they basically told me like, listen, you can either become a teacher or you become like self-employed. I wanted neither. So, yeah, that's very fair. I had a friend that t- did the classics, like Latin, like stuff or whatever. And like, all you do is just make more of you. <laughs> So you just go be a teacher of the classics <laughs> to make more people teaching the classics. So, yeah, sounds about the same. That doesn't sound fun. Like, bless the people that that's what they want to do with their life. But mm-mm, not for me. I mean, to be fair, I mean, you can make an absolute living if you're good at like animation and 3D modeling, all the film related like stuff. It's a little bit, I would say it's hard in Germany. It's also hard in the US. Obviously, you can't just like go to Hollywood after like, two years of film school and be like, hello, money, please. Like also doesn't work. But in the end, it's the same thing. Like if I had put a lot of effort into it, if I had like sit down and really like, okay, made a plan, like this is what I'm doing. I want to get good at this, put a lot of time, effort and energy in it. Then I probably would have succeeded there as well or not. But I found it easier to just keep doing what I was doing, which at the time was doing Magento shops in PHP. PHP. Let's go back. Let's go program in some PHP. Everybody sound good? I hear it's pretty nice, actually. Despite me, oh god, no, no, you have me on tape. We gotta cut that out. Where I say that like <laughs> PHP is probably really nice these days. Um, it's I'm not sure how it is in the US, but it's really popular actually in Germany. It's like really, really popular. Yeah, I think as long as you're not doing like WordPress or like you go to a page that loads a .php file, <laughs> it's like gotten a lot better. So yeah, that's super fair. Florian, you're like just you're talking about your journey into how you are where you are today. I wrote down from your website, this quote of yours where you said, I'm a software developer. That's mostly it. I'm not very good at it. But somehow I found my way into several companies and dealt with some larger projects. So I think I might have some experience. And I feel like that probably speaks to a lot of people. It's a little bit sarcastic to myself. I have like a little bit of a self-deprecating streak. You don't say. Exactly. It's part of the famous German humor that uh, we all have, of course, because we're like the funniest people on the planet. I don't know. I believe strongly that one shouldn't exaggerate their talents unless it's in jest. So I'm, of course, the most humble person on the planet. But the thing is that I consider myself very much just a software engineer. Like I'm not a software architect, even though I held the title at a previous company. I'm not a, I heard this term lately, like an artisanal code crafter, like the barista edition of the developer. Like I'm not an artist of some sorts, not some like, we had the term rockstar programmer, I think a couple of years back. I'm just nothing of that. I just really like to develop software and I'm not sure if I'm good at it. There's no like formal requirement where you have to like lay out what you what you can do. So it's not like structural engineering or anything. We're not building bridges. But yeah, I mean the the message I really want to give to anyone who's kind of like doubting their skills at some point, it's like really at the experience coming from projects that you do, like and that you take away and that you can also pass on. So for me, even after like what is it now like 14, 15 years of doing this, it's really just software development. And I like it. And I think I'm somewhat good at it because of the experience, but I'm not innately good at it. Not innately better than anyone else, really. Yeah, I like that. It's certainly something that, like, for me, didn't come necessarily naturally, right? It was just like practice and work and like mentorship that has made me better at what I do, but not a built-in natural ability or skill. 
Artisanal code crafting, by the way, is one of the best things I've heard all week. That's really funny. Can we put like a trademark on that and put that on like a t-shirt? <gasps> I think we can. I think we can yes. do that. Royalties. Can't wait. Maybe it's like the artwork is like latte art. So it's like latte foam writing on a big cup. Love it. Do it. I love this. With uh, crafting bespoke code since 2021. <laughs> God. I would love such a t-shirt. I would wear that t-shirt and people would not understand it, but I would wear it. I mean, you have to remember we live in times where like GitHub gets to put out like a thing like Copilot and everybody gets like a little bit angsty about the AI basically replacing us. And I mean, I will just point them to this t-shirt and tell them like, listen, like you might employ an AI and like the AI would do all the work for free, but I'm doing this by hand, putting my lifeblood in it basically and doing this like in an artisanal fashion that a program could never do, I think. Blood, sweat, tears, secret ingredient, love, home roasted code. That doesn't make any sense, but... Maybe get Vin Diesel to do like a family kind of thing. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Are you a big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise, just as a little segue? Or are you more of a fan of the memes? I'm a big fan of Vin Diesel because I know that he's a little bit of a Dungeons and Dragons nerd. So He is a Dungeons and Dragons nerd. Yeah. So I love that such a good looking, powerfully built man is just like a little bit of a nerd down below, which is just, just a nice idea. But I hear he, like, I, I forget where I read this. So this is all 100% authentic information, of course. I think he hosts like really good, like Dungeons and Dragons parties where he's just a really good dungeon master. So what a treat. I would give one of my hands probably to just attend one of these this would be awesome all right shout out to vin diesel we would like an invitation to one of your dungeons and dragons parties thank you thank you very much smart logic will host it maybe we'll buy everybody pizza i think you can't fly me over there though because still COVID and stuff oh right okay so post pandemic party exactly. one day when it's all over i don't know but to answer your original question, I have not seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies, and I'm probably the only German person you'll find on the planet that isn't into cars, or into soccer, for that matter. Oh, cut that. Cut that right out of this episode. You're going to get attacked. Sorry. It's almost like there's people that like don't fit stereotypes in like groups of people. It's weird, but apparently it's true. Isn't that too nutty? <laughs> Speaking of nutty... You recommend checking out Haskell at least once in your life. And I feel like I've had a conversation with Eric about reading a Haskell book. Is it uh, Learn Your Haskell for Great Good? Because that's amazing. Ooh, that's a big book. That's a big book. Big book, tiny print. Also, <laughs> huge margins for some reason. It's very frustrating. So I'm not a Haskell programmer, but I recommend checking it out at least once, mostly because you as a programmer can learn the difference between lazy and eager evaluation, which is like really important to me, at least like the realization at some point, like years back that not all code that I write immediately gets executed just because it gets read. It's really not something that I like knew intuitively. So this is really like important to me. And this is why I would recommend checking it out just because Haskell is like lazy all the time. Also like tying it back to Elixir, like it took me a while to really get the difference between like lazy and eager evaluation, like just an example, like stream and enum, which is 
awesome in Elixir that you can just like drop and replace it and just becomes lazy. But it's, I'm not going to lie, like this took me a while to really grasp how this could be useful ever. And of course, you have this in other languages too, like think of like async generators and ES, what's it, ES6, he says? I forget the name. So this is usually my recommendation. Also, it's Haskell is the like the token language when you want to seem a little bit esoteric and probably everyone has had that one colleague that is always like, we should write it in Haskell and then immediately proceeds to leave the company, leaving you on a pile of code that you can't understand or maintain. <laughs> I learned a little bit of Haskell in college in one class. It was specifically a functional and logical programming class, which is, I believe we learned Haskell and Prologue, I think. We did Prologue too. Yeah. It was a very, it was a nice like alternative switch to the rest of the program, which was just Java. So it's a nice way to like just trick your brain kind of into learning something new and totally different. So I would like to echo your statement. Everybody should go learn them some Haskell. Plus one. We have PD days here. So professional development. And one of the days I spent like eight hours reading that book for four or eight hours. I don't remember. Anyways, did not get far. It is very dense and like brain burning. So just be ready for, for that as you start your Haskell journey. I mean, I usually recommend like for people that are interested in these things, I usually recommend the uh, learn your Haskell for great good. And there's also an Erlang version of that, like learn you an Erlang for great good. These are written a lot more like digestible. And to me, like I think the author's intent really is that it comes across a little bit like a children's book. But it's really, really easily accessible. And this is like what I recommend in general to even more generalize the statement. It always pays off that after like once you have like understood and grokked a language and like really have added it to your tool set, learn another. Just because like other language ecosystems might do stuff slightly different and you might in turn like make your like original style better. As an easy example, I mean, my Ruby code is like a million times better now that I did a bunch of Elixir, uh, mostly because of the functional concepts that were foreign to me beforehand. And also, I would say my JavaScript code is a little bit better. Cool. I had a question that was like an offshoot of that. I do not remember what it was at all. So I'll just dive right into the question that was after that in my brain, which is, you are working at Contentful. Is that correct? I am still working at Contentful, yes. And so is Contentful, what languages are you using at Contentful? Elixir, Ruby, JavaScript, Haskell? So we were speaking about WordPress earlier. So we're not using PHP. And we're a really good alternative if you have an old WordPress lying around and you want to get rid of that and make it really cool and nice. And to answer the question, of course, uh, we started out using mostly Ruby and Rails. Still doing a lot of Ruby. Uh, also branched out into like Rails less Ruby. Is that the correct way to say it? Just Ruby with not Rails. I think it's just called Ruby. Oh, that makes so much sense. Uh, we're using, we're pretty heavy on the JavaScript part. We have very, very strong JavaScript and TypeScript developers at Contentful. Thankfully, they really know their shit, pardon the French. And they drove like the JavaScript and TypeScript adoption a little bit more. I hear that there was an Elixir service once and I'm kind of like always like in the back trying to like cheer on the like the... The Elixir crowd that would like to do some Elixir but can't currently because there's not a lot of uh, not enough like people that would love to do it. But yeah, it's mostly Ruby and JavaScript these days. With if your infrastructure a lot of Go. Actually. Yeah. How did you find your way to the Elixir community via Ruby or colleagues? 
So the year was 2015. And and my father gave me a telescope. And my father gave me a telescope <laughs> again. And it was broken again. No, this time around, I work for this Danish startup called Otto Butler. Really cool company. You should check them out. A shameless plug, of course. And I was one colleague, 22-year-old, like just a little bit younger than me. Not that I'm old or anything. But he was never shutting up about that. Never. And Casper, if you're listening, like, thank you so much. Thank you, Sensei. He was never ever, and I didn't get it. I really didn't get it. I was like hacking rails away and it was just like, uh, Otto Butler at the time was a big rails monolith, I believe. And they had tons of problems because of that. They were in the middle of a React migration in the front end. They were like sort of migrating from like very old, like 3.2-ish rails code to more modern rails 5 code. It was a little bit of a mess. Uh, startups tend to be. And Casper would never shut up about Elixir. Never. It was always like every like sentence was like, and by the way, uh, this would be a hundred million times easier in Elixir. And I didn't get it. I was just like, cool. Like, I don't know, like probably like we can't rewrite all of this. Like we can't do it, Casper, please just like leave me alone. And by the way, like somebody clean up the kitchen. It took me a while to understand what the proposition of this language even was. It looked like Ruby. It like kind of like I had the impression, okay, we can just drop this in. Like, what is this Erlang thing? The beam? Okay, this sounds a little bit like Java. You know what? Like for the next year, I will just do a lot of Go and just like ignore Elixir completely. I left Otto Butler at some point and I haven't met Casper since actually. I know that he works at a bank now, like a Solaris Bank here in Berlin. Again, like still super thankful that he introduced me to this, even though I didn't like the idea at the time. And my next job rolled around and we searched for a, a technology that was easily accessible for Ruby developers, but could handle a lot of like synchronization tasks. So we had, um, basically, and I have a, like on my blog, there's a long blog post about like what we exactly did. Like long story short, we needed a way to easily get data into a Postgres database really quickly on demand using ideally like some sort of task, some sort of script that could manage all of this in parallel. And just have it real neat and nice and not like broken. And we tried it a lot in Ruby and we had a bunch of Rails engineers and that didn't really work out, made a lot of mistakes. And so I pulled out the old Elixir book and actually finally learned about OTP, which is, I think, a little bit more important than the language itself. And we built a really good application out of that. We just built on top of like, not even uh, upon Phoenix, we just built on top of Mix, like um, some simple task runners that we could easily monitor and restart. We did a little bit of dark magic around Postgres after I got some recommendations from another developer called Evatne Vu. Like Evatne, if you're listening, thank you. That girl really knows her shit. Again, sorry for the French. And this is how I got to Elixir. And I, I just started to dig in more and you start digging, you find more Gems, no pun intended. And I just stuck with it. It's just, it makes sense. Like to quote another developer from my team, you know, this Erlang ecosystem has a lot of stuff that like we really need in the web. And they had it like 30 years ago. Like who could have known? And I'm like, yeah, back to work. I'll no, tell you who would have known. Casper. Casper would have known. Casper got the idea. That crazy Danish man. Ahead of the curve, Casper. Way ahead of the curve. Like I'm so thankful that he annoyed the crap out of me. <laughs> But he's just one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. If you ever come to Berlin and meet him, he's just really, really sweet. Smart Logic does Berlin Company Retreat 2022. Really? I mean, if you do, you just need to tell me. I'll show you all the cool bars and, and stuff. Get drunk. Let's do it. 
We actually had a office in Berlin for a hot minute. A hot minute? Like, did you try out and just all the developers went away or like? We had a salesperson that lived in Berlin and then one of the developers that was in Baltimore, his wife is a teacher and did a summer thing in Berlin teaching something. I don't know. And so he worked there during the time we had an office. And then when he moved back, I think it just shut down. <laughs> so. okay. Man, well, that's a shame. Berlin's awesome. I mean, I can just recommend it. For you. I would love to live and work in Berlin. That would be great. Highly recommend it. I mean, you have to deal with the fact that it gets like dark really early. So that's usually... Yep, 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 yep. I visited Stockholm once in the summer and was like, this place is fabulous. I love it here. I want to move here. And my mom said, no, you don't. She said, do you know what happens in the winter here? She said, you don't want to move here. And I was like, oh, you're right. Endless summer is great. Endless nighttime in the winter is not great. One shall fear the long night. I just live in a basement at this point. So it's all artificial lights anyways. No, but still, I mean, the nice thing about Berlin is that if it's summer and the days are long, it's amazing. So it's just like May, like start of May till like end of September. It's just like, it's the best. Like you get like warm evenings. You just like sit, like the German culture, of course, helps. Like after work, you just go outside, you grab a beer, like everybody's cool with it. And you just like, you sit uh, next to the river and you just enjoy yourself. And then start of October rolls around and like suddenly everything's dark and you're left in your room remembering the warm summer and it will not get better until like the next may rolls around until the next summer <laughs> berlin itself awesome like if you ever come to visit just let me know on the record like i'll give you the tour yes on the record everybody hell yeah pardon my french sorry i had another question again and it just totally disappeared but i do have a german culture related question in no way related to elixir a song that I learned in my German class growing up in high school was called Das Fliegerlied. And we sang it every Friday and we had a little dance that went with it. And it was so great. I mean, I think it's a song that you would teach to children younger than high school. And I recently went to, you know, an American Oktoberfest celebration and they played it twice. So my question is, is have you ever heard Das Fliegerlied? <laughs> And have I been told a lie? I have to confess I have not. I have not. I mean, I know that it exists mostly because Google tells me so. <laughs> so it really like, I can't stand here and speak for all of German culture. I could try, but I wouldn't get that far because I mean, I'm one of 85 million. Like there's a lot of regional differences. I didn't learn that particular song. But I'm also East German, so my childhood was like was a little bit different in terms of like what songs I learned, what books I read. Fair. I recommend checking it out. It's quite fun. This says it was released. Google's saying it was released in 2010, which feels wrong. That no, I think that's right because I learned it my senior year of high school, and I graduated in the year 2011. So that feels right. I have never heard of it, and I also just noticed that I made a complete ass out of myself by like proposing that it could be in my childhood because I mean, my childhood was earlier, but I'm blissfully uh, like ignorant of like most of like current German culture, mostly because I work in like a startup with lots of like different like nationalities. And also like my partner is French. So we speak English at home. Obviously. 
I think we talked about this during the Elixir Wizards conference that you also attended. And you said that when she's mad, she yells at you in French or something. And when you're mad, you yell at her in German and then normally English. So because we're on the record, I do not get to yell at her ever. You're right. You're right. And she's always right. So not always, but like, let's say most of the time. Is that correct? Okay, that's correct. Like I get the note from the off that that is correct, in fact. So our household, without going too much into private, is a little bit weird because like she is a French national, I'm German, but we speak English at home because that's the language we started talking to one another. Because she also like works for an American startup and I work for Contentful, like the default language is English all the time, which is also why our English is probably better than our conversational French or German. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just I do speak German mostly with my family and some German colleagues where I just like have a big old fun because we can speak dialectic with one another with most of them. Language for me is always a little bit chaotic because like the default is mostly English, which is also why I'm mostly ignorant of like German current culture, like current German pop culture just like goes right like past me. That's usually not something I enjoy. So you can probably like talk with me longer about like what Netflix series I enjoy and, and stuff like that. And it's all like original language, of course. What Netflix series are you enjoying right now? Oh God, is this the part where we need to talk about Squid Game and like... I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. But have either of you seen the show Oktoberfest about like 1910s or something? Oktoberfest is... Yes, it's really, really good. It was made by German like public television, like ARD. It's an ARD production. And if you want to learn the language, it's one of the best showcases for different dialects coming together. I do love all forms of public television. Is this where we praise PBS? I love PBS. Love PBS. Shout out to PBS. You're great. Taught me more about space than any other channel on the planet. Exactly. Public broadcasting system, everybody. Support it. We love it. Claps for PBS. Not to be like, you know, too lame and get back into technical stuff. How did you enjoy Elixir, the Elixir Wizards Conference this summer? Awesome. I tend to like, I mean, of course, with the pandemic and me being a little bit OCD about like health and stuff, I do enjoy conferences a lot, but I'm more a in-person conference goer. But I think for like a first round of this new conference, it was awesome. Like it was really, it was well organized. We used this tool with the bubbles. I forget the name. Oh, Toucan. Yeah, Toucan, which was really, was really, really well organized in that sense because you could like jump between the tables and it felt more natural than just like, hey, everybody, here's our Zoom call. Who wants to share first? Yeah, it's kind of like shouting over everybody. Yeah. So that was really, really nice. Uh, I greatly, greatly enjoyed the talks. At least those I could attend to because I had to like run out on the second day. So yeah, as a first time attendee, loved it. Also the swag, amazing. And it like just arrived actually, like it took forever to arrive. <laughs> it arrived last <laughs> week or so. Only a few months late, but like, it's fine. It's whatever. German customs, they probably enjoyed the stickers. I hope they kept some. I think it was complete, but I really, I really enjoyed like the swag in general, like the stickers with the reflective properties. Really nice. Good. How do you maintain or try to maintain like an active presence within the Elixir community as somebody that works at a company that doesn't actively use Elixir? Well, here's a hard question. So that's actually really tricky. The short answer is I don't most of the time. Like sometimes you can find me on Twitter, like retweeting Jose and pretending I'm his like personal friend. 
But I'm not. I mean, the last time I saw the man, I was handing him a giant 3D plastic of the Elixir logo, which we printed on the company 3D printer. It was 16 kilos, which is probably around 800 freedom units. I'm sorry, like somebody convert that. I think it's 30 pounds or something. So I do struggle to maintain like an active presence or like a mentoring presence. I offered within the company to mentor people in Elixir, but the, most people were more interested in either like Golang or architectural topics, which is also fine with me. And I do uh, most of my open source work these days in Elixir and also try to give a little bit back by uh, supporting the local meetup. We have our local Elixir group here. I know the organizer. He worked with my partner in a previous company. And as soon as our new office opens, like we also will provide like the venue to the Elixir meetup here in Berlin again. Nice. That's great to hear. It's always nice that there's meetups all over the place. Well, I mean, who organizes the meetup, who has done a tremendous job. Like last time I met him, he was really frustrated that like the in-person meetups were kind of like dissipating due to COVID. And he was really adamant in like getting back into like in-person meetings. I'm not sure how it is in the US at the moment. Germany is still kind of in this like state of not really lockdown. We're not locked down, but we're in this like, okay, please wear a mask, everybody. Please like be mindful. Please have ideally like a certificate that you got vaccinated. So it's still a little bit difficult to organize one of these meetups because you would have to adhere to certificate checking or all this good stuff. Do you think there are any drawbacks to Elixir as a language? Anything that you wish it had that it doesn't? No, it's a perfect language. It suits all my needs. Type system. I missed this. And big shout out to Louis here, who is the, uh, Louis Piffold, who is the creator of Gleam. Highly productive individual. It's scary to like, honestly, like I sometimes I look at my Twitter feed and everybody's like, oh, like this is I released this over the weekend. And I'm like, boy, over the weekend, I was just sleeping, man. I was just like, I was tired. So highly productive individual who kind of also, I think, saw it that way. So he created a language on the beam as well, which is looks a lot like uh, Elixir, but is actually type safe. It's very much like an early alpha state, but it's usable already. I highly recommend checking that out if you haven't. To me, Elixir is missing some stuff, like mostly a type system. Like whenever you have like a large code base, a type system really helps to like refactor it and be safe about it. I don't want to criticize the compile time because I know a lot of people in bigger projects do, but for me personally, it was never an issue. And you have like smaller stuff, like, I don't know, like if you look at the beam as like a closed ecosystem, like if you really wanted to, like if you worked in a project where you needed to marry something to Java for some enterprise reason, yeah, that would probably a little bit gnarly. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about Elixir? Immutability and pattern matching because it feels the most natural. I'm not going to say like the pipe operator comes in a close second because I, I like me some syntactic sugar and it makes code a lot more readable. But overall, I think the pattern matching part is what changed my view on how we program things, especially in the web. There is a, um, like I had a senior engineer explain the web once to me and I didn't get it at the time because he was, and this is where we go back to Haskell. He's a Haskell enthusiast and he explained to me that in the end, it's all just a big pipeline of functions. Like you send me a request and I send your response back and everything in between is really just a function. And I didn't get that. I didn't understand. I was like, no, but there's like a database in there somewhere. Me being the junior that I, to a degree, still am. This view like drastically really changed for me when it came to pattern matching. Like suddenly I was like, oh, okay. So I have like three functions here and they all have the same name, but they match on different things, but they all go in the same pipeline. So that makes sense. 
So if I send you a JSON that matches like this particular key or this particular key or this particular key or this particular sub key, like destructuring stuff, crazy good. Like and having a specific function and having like a very easy to follow line of functions, a very easy pipeline of functions, is just marvelous. Because you lose all of this like, oh, this abstract factory created a proxy object class thing that I instantiated over here. And oh my God, why am I reading this handbook? Please, somebody shoot me. So not to hate on Java, but like the bigger and more complex the frameworks get, I find like debugging and just understanding what's going on really, really hard. Like I have this uh, in a lot of Node.js services these days where you get like everything as a stack trace but the thing you were actually implementing yourself so oh i hate that so much we've all been there and you're like you know none of this information is really useful but thanks thanks a lot i will say i think i've had that happen a few times in elixir but that's because it's like you do something and some sub process blows up and it's just like library stack trace it's like oh man (laughs) you're like dang it I mean, you can like create piles of stuff in any language. So, I mean, like Elixir has like, it always felt to me like once you get past this initial bar of like, why is everything like a pattern match arrow? Like, I don't understand this. Like, why do you give me these? Like, oh, I tried to match this on this, but here's the arguments I tried to match on. Like once you get past this, it actually like, it becomes quite, to me, it always felt like much more natural. Like you have a function, you call it. Uh, you have the next function in the pipeline and so on and so forth. And the stack traces actually like become quite readable after a while. Yeah. Not to have a car analogy, because I know you're not into cars. I'm not into cars. I don't really know anything about cars, but like you could drive a very, very, very nice car. But if you didn't know how to drive, like you would still crash it, right? Like you can use a really great programming language and not know what you're doing and just create a pile of garbage. My uncle got a really, really nice car. At one point, it was like, you want to test it out? And I was like driving like 35 miles an hour or whatever, like super, like super boring. He was like, get out. <laughs> and then we swapped <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> to, like, show me what it could do. <laughs> to me, I like I have to um, I've experienced this quite a bit because I got the pleasure of introducing a lot of like Ruby developers specifically to Elixir, especially at Klockner, where we had a lot of like Ruby stars that just like took upon themselves to learn elixir and i saw most of the mistakes like because elixir has a little bit of a downside it looks so friendly it's just it looks like ruby like it's just ruby right it's just ruby and then there's like a little bit of this process stuff over here just use phoenix it just makes stuff faster for you just like see the response times go down and that promise is like very what's the word the promise is very promising sea level english everybody no that is a plus plus level english right there it's like the German word is verführerisch. It's like seductive. Thank you. Thank you, Florian, for remembering that. So it's a very seductive promise to just tell somebody and then they're like, cool, I can do Ruby, so I can just do Elixir. And this holds up until you get to OTP. And at this point, I have to, of course, recommend Elixir in action, where Zurich, I can't pronounce his last name, explains how gen servers come to be. And then it's really just like a bunch of functions calling themselves all the time, that there's a certain method to the madness. and that's when you then start understanding, okay, like the Elixir ecosystem is a really nice entry into the world of Erlang, which comes with OTP, which is just straight up everything you ever need in the web, actually, at least on the back end, of course. What Elixir open source projects are you working on right now? Or have you been working on? So 
I don't want to plug myself. So because my stuff is mostly just me hacking away at something. I have to do a big shout out to Paul Götze here, who is the initiator of the Adoptopos project, which is written in Elixir. Specifically, it's a Phoenix project. The goal of this project is to help people find co-maintainers for their GitHub repositories. So, I mean, we probably, everybody in this Squadcast room probably has written an issue that says something like, is this still maintained? Like, is the creator still around? Is this, is the maintainer still around, please? And this project really aims to reduce friction in finding new maintainers and co-maintainers. And incidentally, like I was found through Adoptopos as a co-maintainer for Adoptopos, and it's still looking for co-maintainers. And I think overall, even if you don't want to contribute, using the project to keep your own projects alive, looking at you and PM maintainers that like have libraries that we all depend on forever, like please don't go away ever or find a co-maintainer. That's a really good project to check out. There is, of course, I have to mention Exorcism.io, which is, I think, a Ruby project. But we have we have a really good Elixir track, actually. Exorcism, for those who don't know it, is like a learning platform where you can learn different programming languages. In itself, it's open source. It has a great Elixir track maintained by the fabulous Angelika Dyborska, who is just Plain amazing. She will even help you learn the language. It's great. And finally, like if you want to check out my stuff, I'm currently working on something called Mimicry, which aims to use open API specs to produce mock servers. So the idea is that you spin up a little server on your machine, you feed it a little open API spec, and it will just pretend that this API is now running on your machine. And you can interact with it based on the spec. It's a nice little exercise in dynamic supervisors which is like the Elixir or the Erlang feature powering it, basically. That's super neat. Wow, that sounds awesome. I don't know, it doesn't work yet. So it does work for get requests. I mean, I would love somebody to help me finish it at some point. But, but it will one day. Maybe. Maybe I'll take a peek at it. Maybe Eric will take a peek at it. Please don't. It's still my code, so it's like, <laughs> Don't say that. We need some confidence. Confidence, Florian, confidence. Always, always. It's the best code on the planet. <laughs> Most humblest software developer from Berlin. That's right. You kind of gave us a plug, but I do have one final question, and it's a fun one because I know it's 11 p.m. your time. On your Twitter bio, you said that you are into video games. So what video games are you playing right now? And then what's your favorite video game? Of all time or like of the last years or? Let's say of the past year. Let's say your favorite game of the pandemic. My favorite game of the pandemic is probably still The Binding of Isaac. So I'm a huge nerd for like old Zelda games. So I got in 1993 when my dad bought me a telescope. <laughs> so in his fifth attempt to buy me a telescope and still getting a broken one, I got a Super Nintendo and I just played like A Link to the Past like to death. Like, I, I don't know, I played this for years and I just like... And The Binding of Isaac is just a nice like thematic continuation for me. Last year, I loved Doom Eternal. I'm a huge sucker for Doom. Not just for the game, but also for the music. I'm also like a, a nerd for the engine itself. So if you haven't read it, the Doom book is amazing. It's basically about the original engine. I forgot the name of the author. It doesn't matter. Basically, the book describes on like how the engine came to be and how it, the company making the engine and making Doom initially, made it and built it. Is this the Masters of Doom? It's the game engine Black Book for Doom, written by a man, I assume, uh, named Fabien Sanglard. Um, and it really details all the intricacies of the now open source original Doom engine, which is just a fabulous read if you're a little bit interested in like cool, nerdy game engine programming. 
that's super fascinating. I truly like know nothing. And I will not even pretend to say that it is my thing or that I want it to be my thing. But I really appreciate how much love people have for video games and how much they care. I mean, it's a little bit of a like, hobby. So I don't know, like it brings together like large masses of people. I think there is like, I'm not sure how it is in the US these days, but in Germany, we finally arrived at like one third of the population like gaming regularly. I think it's more in France. It's probably even more in the US. That's a pretty large population. A third is a lot. It's pretty ubiquitous. And like gamers as a whole are just like this large body of people. Meanwhile, I'm over here trying to figure out how I can play Donkey Konga on the Nintendo GameCube, which I do not own. But, you know, it's a fun game. So shout out to Donkey Konga because you'll have fun. (laughs) But I mean, I assume you do have hobbies, though. I mean, yes, I do have hobbies. Just to, I love to cook and I love to bake. And I love to dance. And in a non-pandemic world, I am a competitive karaoke singer. Competitive karaoke? I mean, you're in the US, so everything is kind of competitive, right? I assume this is a cultural thing. That's true. You might be right. We really do like to like, there's competitive cornhole and competitive skee-ball. There's everything. There was an article a few years ago about the, it's like called the case for being mediocre or something, where it's like everything has to be either the best or I can turn it into money. And it's like, what if I just want to be a crappy painter and I just make crappy paintings because I like making crappy paintings and I get joy. <laughs> That's all I want to do. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I can say that as a, a competitive karaoke I do get very intense about wanting to win. So I value somebody saying, come back down to earth. Am I right in imagining you doing like death metal pieces or like you're just like... No, it's a lot of costumes and props. Oh, so it's like really like, like really on a stage and public and like you sing. Wow. It's like a theater production. Yeah, we did, however, once do a rendition of Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. And we did it where the singer, my teammate was Sid from Toy Story, and we were all toys. So we just kept falling over. <laughs> it was very funny. Love it. Love it. I mean, yeah. You got to have something, right? In general, I mean, the general advice here is that if it's fun and nobody gets hurt, you should just continue on doing it. Exactly. Then that's all you really need. Florian, could you re-say where to find the things you're working on, specifically Mimicry? Uh, Mimicry you can find on my GitHub profile, which is just github.com slash Florian K. Adopt you can find under the handle. So I actually probably say this wrong, so we probably would have to put this somewhere into the description of this podcast. It's like adopt and then oss so but also stylized as a little octopus yeah contentful you can find on contentful.com i highly recommend you checking it out i'm also working a little bit on an elixir sdk for it so if you're interested in that i still need help for that and i also need people who adopt it so i can tell everybody we need elixir sdk yeah awesome and big shout out to casper obviously and the broken telescope of course because that's why we're here today It's an awesome band name, I just realized. (laughs) Let's see if I can say it. Florian? Yeah. Okay. A plus. We'll leave it at that. I'm not even going to try it again. I'm still, I'm following (laughs) through with the soundboard idea. That's really like, if enough people send me sound bites of saying the name and whatever like pronunciation they imagine it correctly, I'll just build myself a little soundboard. I really think we should do it. Everybody send it in, (laughs) please. I think it would be great. (laughs) 
<laughs> Florian, thank you so much for joining us, especially given the fact that it is 11 p.m. your time. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. It was, I mean, it was a pleasure. As we say, gerne wieder. Oh, gerne wieder? Gerne wieder. It's, uh, if you want me to come over again, like just shout. Oh, love. Okay, going to put that one in the back of my brain. Well, everybody, that's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again, Florian Kraft, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Alex Hausend, and my co-host, Eric Ostrich. Our producer is Bonnie Lander, and our executive producer is Rose Burt. We get production and promotion assistance from Michelle McFadden. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software, and we're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails, and React, Kubernetes, and more. If you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. You can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us next week for more on the impact of Elixir. And, Florian, since you're here, I'll sign off this episode by saying, choose. Choose.